This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Welcome to the show. Um, I've tried to avoid for a while really getting into anything uh, pandemic or COVID related. I think we all got kind of burnt out on it, but um, we're going to talk a little bit tonight about reopening anxiety. And that's because people are now starting to ask me about that. People that are looking to return to the world and dating. And they're kind of like, I don't know, man, I'm feeling anxious. I'm seeing people do things. So we're going to talk about some of that, but just remember, uh, you know, gentle, loving reminder, we're still in a pandemic. So still please consider the impact of on other people. Uh, please do follow regulations. Please get vaccinated. Please be honest about it. Oof. But yes, you know, we're p- being pulled out. Things are emerging. Um, and people are having a lot of anxiety. So what are, what are the things we need to think about? Well, first off, go slow. Go at your own pace. Please don't jump back in because that can be overwhelming. That can be traumatizing. And that can actually make you not feel like you're ready, you know, because you went too far. And then you're like, oh, I'm not ready. See, that was overwhelming. It's like, no, if we go slow, you're going to get a sense of mastery, right? We set the bar low. We move slow so that you feel confident and secure and you master each little step. And so for some people, moving slow is not jumping into a music festival this weekend, which, by the way, I don't think is safe for anyone to be doing. And I know that's going to upset a lot of people, but it is not safe to be around crowds, even when they're checking vaccinations, because there are a bulk of people that are getting fake vaccinations, vaccination cards. So it's not safe. I'm sorry. And when were they last vaccinated? When were they last tested last week? Okay. Well, what have they been doing since? So remember that, but I'm a public health professional. So I got to say that I don't think it's safe to be traveling or going to public events. Sorry. However, for those that are trying to get back out in the world to maybe see a friend, (laughs) go grocery shopping, go visit a parent, move slow, small goals. Don't jump all the way back in. Maybe you just go for a walk. Start by going for a walk. Yeah, some people are like, are you kidding? Yes, for some people, that's a big deal. Just getting familiar being out a little bit more. Maybe find a local outdoor restaurant or coffee shop and sit outside with a friend or by yourself. Getting a little more familiar being out of the house. But wear your mask. Make sure the restaurant is. You know what I mean? Make sure it's a place that's making their staff be vaccinated. I would not recommend going to a place where vaccines are not mandated by staff and people entering because then you are setting yourself up for people that are not vaccinated, that maybe have been infected, and then you should be worried. That is a risk. It is. So I'm thankful that places are mandating everyone working there is vaccinated and everyone coming in has been and has proven it. But it's not fail-proof because when were they last tested? They could still have COVID with or without symptoms. I know people with symptoms that are still going out because they don't care. So it's not fail-proof. That's why it's not fully safe. That's why I'm still not back in my office because everyone can't get tested the day before they come in every single week. 
And until they can be, I am not trying to be in any enclosed spaces with anyone. That's why if you notice, I'm still not participating. I'm missing out on going to big concerts. I'm missing out on going to some events that I would love to, but I don't trust people. People are lying, misleading, and I'm a public health professional, so I'm taking it very seriously, you know? But my bigger point is move slow. Take things slow. Honor, honor your body, honor your feelings. If you're not feeling ready, then you are not ready. There's no rush. <clears throat> but I do want us to learn to step into our anxiety a little bit. It's healthy and acceptable for us to step into things that make us a little anxious. Not a heavy level of anxiety that floods us and overwhelms us, but a lower level. We're challenging ourselves because we do want to be able to participate. I do want people socializing. I do want people getting out of the house for a multitude of reasons. Don't judge yourself. You're not supposed to be doing what everyone else is doing. You know, that's okay. You're not trying to catch up or keep up. Just be where you are. You know, honor that. A lot of people have FOMO, fear of missing out. They're seeing all these people doing these things. Well, they're living, they're taking risks. And I appreciate it. For some people, it's a very calculated, thoughtful risk. And for others, not so much. But that doesn't mean it's the right thing. And I'm having to remind clients of that. Just because you're seeing other people doing things doesn't mean it's safe or correct. In fact, most of what you're seeing people do is not safe, nor is it correct ethically but they're just eager to still get back out there. I don't advise it. So honor where you're at. Also be mindful of grief and loss. Like this is a real grief and loss piece, right? We've, we've lost the world we knew. We've lost the safety and comfort we knew as we hear about new variants constantly. There's a big grief and loss part of this. There's also a big anger piece, anger at seeing people lying, manipulating, putting other people at risk, pushing the boundaries too fast and too soon. People you care about, yeah. So it's okay to have anger. Anger is an acceptable emotion. In fact, I think we all should be very angry and disappointed in a lot of what's going on. Literally, governors saying we can't mandate masks. What is that about? It's about politics. So they're not worrying about people's lives, but they're worrying about politics. But then they want to put in there in place like abortion laws. We're trying to save, you know, heartbeats and, 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 and embryos, but yet we don't mind the people that are currently breathing dying from COVID and we're not mandating masks. Like, what the heck's going on with that? So I appreciate the anger and frustration. I think that that's very, very, very valid. All right, y'all, enough about COVID. I'm personally burnt out. Seriously, I am. Uh, coming up next, though, we're going to talk about ways to have a fight that actually are healthy because fighting is healthy. I don't like using the word fighting. I usually use the word conflict because fighting usually implies force or violence. So how do we step into conflict? Conflict's necessary. I worry about people that have no conflict because I say, wait a minute, who's selling themselves out? Conflict is an appropriate part of all relationships. We're going to talk about it. Stick around. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q in Odyssey. See you back in a minute. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. All right, y'all, we're back and we're talking about conflict, healthy conflict. Conflict isn't bad. We have to learn how to, you know, what word do I want to use? I need to find a different word. We have to learn how to assert ourselves. We have to learn how to disagree. We have to learn how to deal with frustration and letdown. We have to learn how to say to someone, that's not what I wanted. That's not what I thought. That hurt my feelings. There's healthy ways to have conflict. Conflict is also one of the most important moments where we learn about the health of ourself and our partner and whether or not we can trust them, how much longevity we have. So I, I wait for new couples to have conflict. We get there as soon as you can, because that's when you learn the most about someone. When things are easy and going well, you don't learn anything. It's easy to be kind and healthy when things are well. But when someone's disappointed, frustrated, angry, and conflict emerges, how they manage it, more importantly, how they treat you tells you their mental health, how healthy the relationship's going to be, if they're ready to be in a relationship, right? And what kind of sustainability you can expect. Because if they don't handle conflict well, they get mean, they name call, they bully, they, they punish get out now. So try to get conflict going. That's how we learn the most. So how do we have healthy, good, positive conflict, right? Number one, drum roll, please. Express your complaints without blaming. We try to make requests. We try to share what's happening for us, but we don't name call. We don't criticize and we don't blame because what does that do? That's just picking a fight and starting a fight. And conflict should in healthy people be about how do we resolve this difference? It's a difference. Chill out, y'all. It's a difference. Conflict can just be a difference. Conflict should be at a three, a four, or a five. If we're hitting a six, seven, eight, or nine, we're, tr- we're trying to fight. We're starting a fight. We're being in a fight. We're not trying to do that. Healthy adults, conflict is about curiosity. Wow. Uh, tell me more. I see it very differently. Do you notice my tone in my languaging? That's healthy conflict. Whoa. Surprised to hear that. I never thought of it like that. Damn. I don't know if I agree, but wow. Tell me your thoughts. No name calling, no attacking. I'm not trying to win. I'm not trying to get one over on you. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm curious. Or conflict is something that leads us into an apology because someone told us we let them down, frustrated them, or disappointed them. Instead of defending and attacking back or being attacked, just say, you let me down. And the healthy response is, whoa, I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you for telling me. I care about you. I never wanted to let you down. Do you hear how I'm being soft? I'm being open? That's healthy conflict. You have curiosity. You want to understand the other person's point of view. You're not trying to win. You're not trying to change their mind. You're trying to learn about them. Curiosity. It's called empathy. Number two, you're trying to repair. You realize that like whatever's going on, we want to stay friends. We want to stay close family members. I want to stay as your boyfriend or husband. And so I'm trying to repair. I'm going to apologize. There's no, we're not trying to fight. We don't start a fight. So I'm not name calling right? I'm not judging. I'm not saying you always, right? I feel upset that you blah, blah, blah. It scared me when I found out you blah, blah, blah. It kind of let me down when I realized that you forgot blah, blah, blah. And the other person's like, wow, tell me more. They're curious. They're looking to learn. That's what conflict should be rooted in. But most people, they turn it into, I need to win. I need to be right. 
I need to convince you. I need to defend. Stay soft. Stay open. Stay listening. Don't explain or defend. Listen. Be curious. Right? That's why I hate cliches, but sometimes the, those use I words are what it is about. I, this is how I felt as a result of that. This is what I was thinking. This is why I'm bummed out or disappointed. Keep it close to yourself. Share experience. Don't point. Don't judge, right? So instead of, yeah, I think that's pretty good. I think we got that one down. Excuse me. Because remember, one of the most, uh, what, what word do I want to use? Not powerful, but like one of the, I'll use it. I'll enter this differently. One of the best ways to ensure that the you know conflict doesn't go off the rails is what we call a soft startup. How you enter a conversation has a has a lot of impact on where it goes and how much it gets escalated, if at all. Always come in soft. If you're not able to come in soft, you might not be ready to enter a conversation about conflict. If you're coming in hot and hard, you're you're looking for a fight most likely. Don't do that. In healthy relationships, we, we digest and regulate and anchor and calm down a little bit before we step in and we, we try to come in with a soft start and we do whatever we need to do behind the scenes to be able to get there, right? Because that's part of being a healthy adult. We're always open to repair attempts, always, 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 because that's part of life, letting people down and frustrating them. Soft startups. And also we're aware of who our partner is. We're aware of their triggers. We're not responsible for their triggers. Every individual who has triggers and is triggered is responsible for acknowledging that that's where their healing needs to take place. That's where their wounds are. They're responsible for that. However, in healthy adult relationships, we take responsibility to some level to not trigger our partners. It's not our job, but we lovingly and with a lot of care don't purposefully upset and trigger. We protect their wounds. We know what their wounds are and we protect it. We don't try to hurt them. So if in a conflict, where you're talking about disappointment, frustration, or seeing things differently, there should be no need to try to wound someone. And if you're doing that, you are not safe to be in a relationship with someone. You have too much work to do. You try to hurt people. You're dangerous. You try to wound. And someone who cares about you doesn't weaponize your wounds. They protect them. They help you protect them. You know? And it's also about staying with the issue. When things get rough, some people start saying, oh, well, I got a whole bunch of things I want to bring up too. No, nope. nope. That's you trying to take the power back. That's, that's you trying to gaslight. That's you trying to change the topic. Stay in this one topic, one thing at a time. And once we're resolving this and we've worked through, we reconnect and we'll come back to these other issues, write them down. But we're not doing, you know, now that, now that we're airing grievances, let me take my big moment. No. Because remember, you're always, you're always there for the repair. You're always there to be able to continue to be in relationship. You're not trying to make it harder, you know? So it's basic kindness. But, you know, part of this is also about bringing things forward. I'm a big fan of people in a relationship being transparent, letting others know what's going on and where you're at, not brushing things under, under a rug, not ignoring them, because then they fester and they lead to resentment. So part of the contract you make when you enter a committed relationship is, I will bring issues up with you. That's a commitment we make. We have to learn how to honor that. All right, we got to take a quick break. We will be back, though, so stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around. All righty, we are back. And uh, before we go to the DMs, which we're going to do in the next segment, we're going to slide in those DMs. So if you've got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Love Line IG page, topics, questions. We got your back. I wanted to just kind of wrap up what we've been talking about at relationships with a quick final point. 
One of the things I'm always going on and on about is I want us to be aware of what our work is. I also want us to be aware that we want to leave people better off. Life is hard. Every time someone interacts with another, we build them up, make them better, or make them worse. And make your presence in someone's life make their life better. But to do that, we have to be looking at ourselves. So if you're currently in a relationship or you're currently single, it doesn't matter. Please take time, and we've talked about this before, so it's a little loving reminder, to look back at prior relationships and ask yourself, who do I want to be again and who do I not want to be again? Past relationships show you what's possible, okay? Yes, everything is co-created, and if we date healthier, more securely attached people, we will be able to live that way as well to an extent, but we have to look at what our work is. So you need to learn, am I working on being more assertive and less aggressive? Am I working on not being punishing and overreacting when I'm let down or disappointed, right? Am I working on more softness and kindness? Am I working on my jealousy and trust issues, right? Whatever it is, look back at your relationships prior and say, what was I proud of? What do I want to do more of? And what was I not proud of? You have to be able to call yourself out. You have to talk about what are the things I don't want to do again, but I need to be aware of. It's also part of some of the step work that happens in 12-step programs. They do a fourth step. They're looking at all, all their resentments, but it's really about learning what their character defects are. Where do I have work to do? Because no matter what happened in a dynamic or relationship, it's a, it's, a, it's a system. There was some element of you being in there. We're not blaming. We're not victim blaming. We're saying you in all relationships matter. You're not, nothing happens in a vacuum. What do you want to do again? What do you not want to do again? Or even looking at other people's relationships that you value. What am I learning by watching them that I want to start bringing into my relationship? Please do some work to heal. And if you, if you don't know what these answers are, then you're not ready to date. And if you're already in a relationship, please do this assignment immediately. Because if I say to you, what do you need to work on? What do you want to do more of or less of? And you don't have an answer, then that means you are not doing your work. Because anyone healthy has a consciousness around that. And they can tell you, because they're tracking themselves. They're like, yep, I'm noticing I still need to be working on my responses being soft or entering conflict softer. I'm still learning that my first knee-jerk reaction when my partner comes to me to share something with me because I've disappointed them or frustrated them, I still want to tack back and I'm working on not doing that. You have to be more aware of yourself. It's scary to me when people come in my office and they've been in relationships they're currently dating and they don't have any of these answers. I'm like, you came to the right place. I'm glad you're here. We need to look at this. Because we impact other people. And, it, and again, we have to get away from this idea. We need to learn how to be single. No, we don't. We have not nailed learning how to be relational. We, most people want a relationship or are in one. Learn how to do better at relationships. Please, unless you're trying to be single, don't work on how to be single. Work on being better in relationships because most of us are not nailing it. And if you don't have what it takes to be someone's partner, you probably don't have what it takes to be a good friend either, FYI. So maybe you need to have no one in your life for a period of time if you really need to do that deep work. But we're not working on learning how to be single. We're not, we're not trying to be better at that. We're learning how to be better relational partners because we are impacting other people when we're in their life. So it has higher stakes. I, I, I trust you'll figure out singledom when you're doing it. You'll learn how to fill up your time. But we are not doing well being relational. And so that's where the focus needs to go. So when you hear someone saying that, it's like, oh man, you're on the wrong track. But bigger than that, know what your work is. Who do you need to be? Who do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to be? What are your ethics? We talked about this in another show. I said, what's your mission statement? What kind of person do you want to be in the world? What are your ethics? Everyone should know what their ethics are. How do you make decisions? How do you decide if something's an acceptable thing to do or not to? What guides your actions, right? What are your ethics? What's your mission statement? What do you need to do to be a better, healthier person in the world? Like these are all things we need. And that's why some people turn to religion, spirituality, 
ethics, whatever it is. They're psycholo psychologically minded. They, they have, it gives them a compass, a metric. We need that. Otherwise, we're just kind of running wild. It's a you know, free-for-all. Just living in reaction. If you don't have a consciousness, you're living in reaction. If you don't have a plan or a barometer, you're living just in reaction. Something happens and you just respond. There's no sitting with it. There's no processing. Because again, healthy people, something happens, a cue, a trigger, and then there's a space between the cue or the trigger and their response. And in that space, they're thinking, they're analyzing, they're processing, they're challenging themselves. But a lot of people, there is no space. Something happens and they respond. And if that's how you're living, it's probably not the good responses. And you're probably having a lot of relational and mental health issues. So it's about how do I slow down, create that space, and that's when I plug in my decision-making process. Whatever that is, you know, what are your goals? So work on that. I'll try to remember to like do a whole segment on that. This is where things like journaling come in, reading important healthy self-help. Not all self-help is good, a lot of it's crap, written by people that just haven't done the work and don't understand relational psychology, relational systems, all those different pieces that matter, right? So just be very thoughtful about that, but like, do some reading, you know what I mean? Do some journaling, get into some therapy, listen to some mental health-centered things. Um, all right, coming up next, we're gonna be uh, sliding into those DMs. So yeah, you know the drill, drop them in there. We'll be hitting that up. And then we'll be back doing a little chit-chat and then we'll be closing out with another DM. So uh, stick around with us. We still got a lot more to come. Um, but yeah, do a little dance on the little break, move your body, shake some things off, put a little smile on your face, maybe go make some coffee. But uh, more importantly also, maybe drink some water. We got to stay more hydrated. All right, y'all, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris, Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we are back and uh, time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. DMs come from our Love Line IG page. This one's a little bit long, so uh, actually it's not so bad. I always try to give you guys a heads up, but I feel like it's a long question. Hey, Dr. Chris, I have a question. I am a gay man, and whenever I get intimate with another person, pre-COVID. All right. See, we're, uh, it's a important milestone. We're talking pre-COVID, post-COVID, during COVID. Uh, I almost felt bad right after, or even for a couple of days afterwards. This is after being intimate. It's really a bad feeling. I can't seem to get it out of my head. I overthink it. Think about it a lot. I ruminate. I would like to find a way to treat it because it's messing up my sex life. Possible relationships that I could develop with my partners. I was raised mainly by my mom who never had any sexual encounters I'm aware of and was always alone during my teenage years. Do you think that might have to do with it? Thank you so much, and I appreciate your work. Uh, it could. You know, remember, um, talked about this on an earlier show, but our early environment has some impact on us. You know, everything that happens afterwards strengthens it, undoes it, heals it, um, amplifies it. So what really matters is actually everything that happens afterwards. You know, our, you know, as children, we're kind of at the mercy of the environments we're in. But as adults, it's our job to really choose to put ourselves in environments with friends and lovers and things that uh, are healing and soothing, right? Not recreating. And that's why some people move away from parental behavior they're raised with, or they move towards, some reenact, some leave behind. It takes a lot of consciousness. And that's why if we look at what environment did I have, where do I see that still instilled in me and I'm, and I'm actively strengthening it and taking it forward. And then we start to try to live in the opposite. It just takes some consciousness, right? Looking at what are the things that tend to be a problem in my relationship and how can I work to be different? You know, choice. Recognize that you have choice in most matters in that way. Um, so yes, if you're raised in an environment where your mom made you feel like sex was bad or dirty, it was what, what we call sex negative family, where good girls don't do that. You know, if you want to be husband material, blah, blah, blah. And they're all, they're always shaming it. They're always talking about the bad elements. They're putting it down. That's sex negative. We're going to internalize that. 
And then as we move through the sex negative world, it's going to be strengthened, right? And then you said you're gay. So we live in a homophobic culture that doesn't make gay people feel of worth and value. You know, your sexuality is not mirrored in your childhood. And then it's not mirrored culturally as a teenager because you're gay and everything's heterocentric, heterocentric. Um, then as an adult, you have to step into your sexuality. You're supposed to feel good and proud out of the blue. All of a sudden, you're better than homophobia and you're better than the fact that your mom told you sex was bad and dirty and shamed it. What? No, it doesn't work that easily, right? <clears throat> That's work we have to do ongoing. So basically, yes, your work is to normalize sexuality, get more familiar with it. Work on researching the positives. What does it, what does sexuality bring to our world? It brings a lot of beauty and creativity. You have to surround yourself. So listen to some good sex positive pad podcasts, read some good sex positive books. I wrote two of them, Sex Outside the Lines and Rebel Love. My show, all my social media, trying to normalize sex, talk about the healthy parts, because most people want to talk about the bad and dangerous, and it's not. Sex is not bad. Sex is beautiful, right? So maybe see a sex therapist, a certified sex therapist. That's someone who is exclusively trained and specializes in this. That'll be good for you. It'll help you, but also read books. Moving through your life, tell your friends, I don't want to talk negatively about sex anymore. Can we start to talk more positively about it, openly, confidently, the positive, healthy aspects? Start talking to your friends about it. Hey, you guys are sexual. Tell me all the beautiful, beneficial things. Let them share with you what it's like to be a <clears throat> sex partner to someone else, how it bonds them, creates fun, how it's entertainment. I would also work on masturbating more and, what the, th and the things you're masturbating to. <clears throat> so much work you can do. But like I said, start challenging the thoughts in your head. Start challenging the conversations that you have and are had around you. Listen to some sex positive podcasts, read sex positive books, maybe get into some sex therapy. These are all the ways that we unlearn all the messaging we've learned. If we don't actively choose to unlearn it, <clears throat> it's going to be perpetuated. The world is naturally, excuse me, it's this air conditioner. The world is naturally not going to do that work for you. So as adults, we have to do that difficult work of looking at our early environment, how we've been raised, what we've internalized, and then how do we undo it. It's important work though. So get on that journey, you know, but circle back and let us know how that goes. There's a lot of people that have that work to do, maybe not as extreme as you, but they have little inklings of that. And also learn how to maybe work on building other levels of intimacy that bump into sexuality as a way to kind of expand and, and slowly move into uh, mastery around that. But we all have a lot of messages tons of them to unlearn from our early life. All right, Joe, great question. <clears throat> we'll be back. And uh, later in the show, we'll be sliding back into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page. But uh, stick around, y'all. More to come. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around. All right, y'all. We are back and we're going to talk about getting the sex you want. That's right. Ah, uh, an old saying here in the uh, sexology world is uh, you got the kind of sex you deserve. And what they really meant is you got to ask for what you want. We don't do mind reading. Remember, the worst sex partners are the ones that I know what every guy likes. I know what every girl likes. No, you don't. Everyone is completely different. People that are great partners and lovers, they always see every new experience as new. There are every, every new partner's a virgin in their mind, right? Every new experience is virginity again. I don't know who you are, what you want. I don't know where you're at. We have to take the temperature of the room, the environment, right? And so you have to always open with this open mind. So we're going to talk about the ways to get the kind of sex you want because you have to be responsible for, for asking, you know? The, too many people rely upon mind reading. They should know. No, they shouldn't. They should have. They've been with you for a long time, but they should know because you've told them, not just from experience. That's how a lot of false assumptions are made. We're adults. We ask for what we need. We honor transparency. 
And the act of talking about these things is building the necessary intimacy that all couples need to have access to. But the way we step into it is we have so much work to do. Remember, our sexuality is never fully honest or authentic. All of us have the work to do of unburring ourselves from our, our, our gender training, right? Toxic masculinity, body shame, uh, respectability politics. Well, I'm a mom and so I can't blah, 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 right? Uh, like all these forces, uh, slut shaming, whorephobia, afraid of being called a sex addict. Like, remember, it's all of these forces that we're bur our sexuality is buried under and we have to work through that. But that's part of this. Getting the sex you want has to start with you just developing a healthy relationship to sexuality. And we all have work to do around that. All of us. I don't know anyone, even the people that are the most sexually liberated and sex positive still stumble and bump into these moments where they're like, oh, that's where my work still exists. So that's part of it. We have to learn how to reduce shame. And that's why I think like sexual shame, the removal and working through sexual shame is just ubiquitous and universalizable in that if we can do that work, we can stand more confidently in other parts of who we are, right? So that's always gonna be really powerful. And then it's also about learning who we are sexually underneath all of that and, and, and what we fantasize about, what we notice in the world, the porn we look at, those are all indicators of a more honest part of ourselves. It doesn't mean those are things we wanna do or will do with a partner or the partner we have, but those are honest parts of, of who we are. And it's important to recognize that at least to yourself, because then you can ask yourself, how can I weave that in or how can I not weave that in? But that's an important part of that, learning like who you really are at that deeper core part of yourself. Because remember, self-esteem is generalized. And if we have a part of ourselves that we have guilt or shame about, that won't allow us to just move through the world with our head high, you know, at our, at our best, at our most optimal, if we're carrying parts of ourselves that we feel bad about. There's all, there, everyone has to resolve that. Because remember, we all come from one of essentially <clears throat> three or four different styles of families. There's that sex positive family, which I, I haven't really seen that many of them, although people are getting better, where they use the right terminology with their children. That's your vagina. That's your penis. They don't shame expressions of pleasure. Yeah, it feels good when you touch that part. However, we don't do that around other people. It makes them uncomfortable, but you can touch yourself and make yourself feel good when you're at home alone. That's okay. And they honor privacy. They knock before they enter the child's room. You know what I mean? And they, they, it's, it's a healthy, it's a healthy force. They socialize them to believe it's not bad or wrong, but it, we, we engage in it at certain times and we don't at other times. And we talk about boundaries and communication and consent. That's a sex positive family, right? Sex isn't bad, but it's not appropriate at all times in all spaces, right? And then there is the sexually anxious family, which is the family where they're like, oh, you're down there parts, right? They use little fake baby words, you know what I mean? As opposed to empowering adult concepts, which every child needs to be aware of. And uh, they won't answer questions honestly. They don't really wanna talk about it. They make people, and that just instills more anxiety and you're training your child to believe it's not the best thing, you know? And then there's the sex negative family where they actually openly say sex is bad, sex is wrong, good girls don't do that. And they engage in these like really negative stereotypes about people, that, you know, all guys are like this, all girls are like that, sex is bad, you know, good girls or, you know, moms don't dress like that. And they're just always shaming and it's always negative. And it's really hard for someone to step into a confident, healthy adult sexuality when that's what they're constantly raised around or hearing. And then there's the sexually toxic and traumatic family where there's sexual trauma, there's no boundaries, sex is, you know, maybe displayed or forced or talked about in ways that aren't age appropriate, where children aren't ready for it. So it's a very unsafe family. And we come from one of those or maybe families that are blend and uh, we have to undo that work. And then we step into our 
our sexuality. And if you're gay or trans or kinky or queer or poly or anything that's not cis hetero, then uh, you are going to have more shame to work through because our culture still pathologizes all of that. It's getting better, but you still have to work through that. So then you have the additional trauma after family work, your family of origin work with your, your own sexual gender and social identity, finding community, finding acceptability. Because as children, the one part of us that's never mirrored back, that gets no mirroring, is generally our sex, our sexuality. And then as adolescents and teenagers, we have to find people to reflect it back and to say, it's okay that you're gay. It's okay that you like that kind of sex. Sex is okay. But it's really hard for us to really have those experiences because we're adolescents and teenagers around other adolescents and teenagers who are traumatized. So it's like we still don't get to have a healthy expression. We don't have healthy people modeling that for us still. We're going to take a break. We're going to keep talking about this. So stick around, y'all. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about adult sexuality, how to get the kind of sex you want, but we're talking about the fact that like we don't get our sexuality mirrored back to us as a child. We need mirroring. We need people to look at us and to reflect back that who we are is acceptable. Self-esteem, as we always talk about, is relational. It's reflected back to us. It's internalized. It's socialized. We inherently are born with no sense of that. And as we're raised, we find out that our height is okay, our height isn't okay, our race is okay, our race is not okay. Oh, we were determined and assigned to be male at birth, and so now we're told as a man you have to subscribe to this and ignore that part of yourself. We just are constantly moving through these traumas of not being able to be authentic and honest. And then we're an adolescent or a teenager, and we're still getting that. Well, you're a guy, so you're supposed to do this. You're a girl, so you're not, you're not allowed to like sex. And you know, you're supposed to be, it's a mess. No one ever says, just be your damn self. Wear what you want to wear. Have the kind of sex you want to have. It's cool if you're gay or bi. It's really hard to find those messages. So we're constantly looking for a partner or, or something to mirror back that you are okay the way you are. We need that. So it's like more trauma. And then we move into our adult lives all beat up from all of that, trying to resolve that. And now we meet this person, whoever it is that we love or we have a crush on, and we're trying to find acceptance through them. We need them to look at us and tell us that we're okay as we are. But that's hard because they have their own trauma. And maybe what we're turned on by our gender experience expression throws them off because there's still people being like, I want a man that acts like a man. What does that even mean? You want, you mean you want a man who isn't willing or confident enough to be his authentic self. And anyone who says that isn't safe to be dated or have, or to have sex with because they're going to police your gender and your sex. You know what I mean? Like those are those words you have to be careful when someone make these grand statements about what they demand or what they expect. There's shame in that policing. So there's so much work for us to do. So then we move to the next step of we have to just be able to communicate honestly who we are and what we want from partners and tell them who we are. Well, we haven't really been able to build confidence. And so finally, when you're in a healthy relationship, you hope that you hope that this person will sit there lovingly as you say what you're aroused by and what turned you on and who you are, and that they'll say, All right. Even if they're not turned on or interested in it, they'll still still they'll still say, and it's okay. I might not be interested in that, but it's okay that you are. They don't shame you for it. Essentially, they say, thank you for trusting me and caring about me enough to want to share with me who you really are. Because that's really what you should say when someone tells you who they are in terms of their gender, or their sexuality. Thank you. It doesn't matter what you like or how you feel or what you think about what they told you. Just say thank you. Reflect back that it's okay. It doesn't, they don't, you know, part of that vulnerability is not about even what we're going to do as a couple or as partners. It's just about, I need to feel safe as I am. And then we negotiate maybe what we're going to do or what's going to happen. 
But stay curious, stay open. Your job as a partner, when you enter a committed relationship with someone, you are taking on the job to help heal and to be a good influence on your partner, not to further shame them, not to make their life harder. And so you need to stay curious and open and loving and soft as they try to navigate having confidence around this person whose opinion matters. This relationship that that has fragility to it because they care about you. So we don't shame. And the final most important thing is we focus on pleasure. We have to start making sex about pleasure, not about penetration, not about what we do with our genitals, not about orgasm even, but just we're here to have fun. We're here to enjoy each other. And however that happens is acceptable. We have to get away from it, having to go a certain way to be right, to be acceptable, to be correct. Because so many people still get hung up on the way they think they need to perform. And I have to perform a certain way to be a man or to make my partner happy. Oh my God, we have to get away from that. That's not what healthy sex or relationship is about. It's just about being with and being in the moment. And however that happens is okay. It's even like dating. It doesn't matter where we go to dinner. Don't, ma- don't be so fragile that your self-worth is tied to where someone takes you to dinner. Just be with them. We get so hung up on what's the restaurant, how much are they spending, what are they wearing? Oh my God, you're, se- you're, you're telling on yourself when you're thinking in those ways or hung up on that. You're saying, I'm not a safe person. You're saying, I'm not really seeking authenticity and intimacy. I'm actually living from my ego and I need things to go a certain way to meet some fantasy I made up so that I can feel wanted or desirable. That's not safe. That's not healthy. Let go of all that. Don't worry where you go on your date. Don't worry what your date's wearing. Just try to be yourself and to be with their selves, right? It's, it's, that's intimacy. That's authenticity. But we get hung up on all these ego pieces and materialism. We have to move away from that because the qualities that matter most in a relationship, the qualities that promise a healthy relationship, the qualities that will give us a healthy, happy, long-term, sustainable relationship is the experience of being together. What's it like when we're together? What parts of ourselves are brought out? That's what matters, not where we go to dinner, not how they dress, not how much money they spend on me on the holidays. That's structural stuff. That's ego. Step out of that. What is it like when your two personalities come together? How safe is it to be honest and vulnerable with this person? Those are the qualities that matter in relationships, but also in sex. What is it like when you're laying there with them naked? Do they look at you? Are they attuned? Are they present? Do they focus on pleasure? Or are they just trying to perform good partner and good sex and get it done? Because that's not a, that's a mess. And that leads to sex issues down the road because there's anxiety in that because you can't always promise that. And because that gets boring, (laughs) that gets old really quick. But when it's just about connection and pleasure and being together, then that's wide open. So stay open, stay curious, stay soft, stay kind, really look for human connection. Don't get hung up on the aesthetics of things or the performance of things. There's no goal. That's the beautiful thing of relationship and sex. There is no true goal. It's just about presence and being together. And that's part of what throws people off with dating. What should I wear? Where should I take them? None of those things matter or should matter. And they only matter to people that are trapped in ego. And I don't want you dating someone who's trapped in ego and makes the worth and value of the date or use a partner with the money spent and the, the fantasy you put together for them. That's not actually even how you show true love and care, how you show up is. And that could happen at freaking any restaurant. It could happen at the taco shack. If you show up present and attuned with love, that should matter. So it shouldn't matter where the date takes place. It should matter how you each show up on the date. That is mental health. Focus more on that. All right, we're gonna take a little break. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris. 
Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around. Alrighty, we're back. And uh, I wanted to kind of jump back into a topic around sobriety. This is something we were talking about on last night's show because um, it's something I want to sprinkle more. So we're just going to spend a little time quickly talking about it. You know, when people are looking at their relationship to drugs and alcohol and deciding, you know, do I need a break? Uh, maybe I need to stop altogether. There's a few questions you can ask yourself to kind of guide yourself. First off, is, is, alcohol, is alcohol or drugs still serving you? Uh, we don't always stop to analyze our relationship to something. And we might have assumed that at some point all was well, but is it now? I want people to do that even in their romantic and social relationships, right? I always say that a couple, every couple months or every year, stop and say, hey, how's this year been? What do we need to work on as a couple or individually? Is this something we want to keep doing? It's okay to do that. We don't want to put our head down and just go on autopilot. Same thing with drugs and alcohol or your relationship to the gym and exercising. Not everything that's good at one level is good at a higher level. You can overtrain and step into toxic forms of exercise and, and attempts at healthy eating, right? So stop and say, like, again, is alcohol still serving me? Is this thing creating problems in my life? How is this process or substance impacting my mental well-being, my physical well-being? How's it impacting my relationships? my work, my daily routines. If I'm waking up tired and hungover and it's getting in the way of my work and I'm not getting to the gym or other acts of self-care or it's making me cranky so I'm not showing up as my best, well then it might be time to drink differently or to stop drinking altogether or go to the gym less because it's overtraining and burning yourself out, you're depleting your energy, whatever it is. Look at though, how's it impacting my physical health? How's it impacting my mental health? How's it impacting my relationships? Is it getting in the way? Is it prioritized? Relationships should be your number one. Your friends, family members, and loved ones should come before the gym and drinking and partying. You know what I mean? Even work. So pay attention to that. Are you getting into more arguments with friends and family members because of your drinking or gym use or whatever? Just plugging things in. Are your recovery days after drinking or drug use preventing you from enjoying your day, your time, your mental health, your physical health? Is the amount you drink yesterday or the night before that weekend, impacting your level of productivity during the week, right? Also, it's helpful to look at the benefits. Like not everything has all downsides. And so sometimes looking at the positives, realizing there aren't any, or there are a few can help you reorient when you're using, how much you're using. So ask yourself that. If you're feeling ambivalent, you know, what are the impacts it has on my life that maybe are beneficial or negative? What are the benefits? Because that might be what's holding you back from stopping is that sometimes it has something beneficial, but maybe there's another way to get that benefit to still be a part of your life that it doesn't have to be tied to alcohol, you know? And like I always say, when in doubt, take it out of your life for a period of time. See how it feels without it. But then look at the risks. Impaired judgment, problem sleeping. Alcohol might help you fall asleep. It doesn't help you stay asleep. We know that 75 to 80% of domestic violence is tied to drinking, alcohol use. 80% of violent acts are tied to alcohol use, right? So pay attention to your violence, verbally, physically. We also know alcohol leads to cancer, liver disease, high blood pressure, heart disease, stroke. It really negatively impacts every system in your body. So you wanna be aware of that. And the beneficial impacts in terms of like the phytochemicals and the vitamins, you can just get that from plain grapes or grape juice. Just know that. Um, but take the first step. I, I think it's important for everyone to maybe take some time away, take a break and see how hard that is. If it's really hard to take a break from it, if it's really hard to go through the weekend or the week without alcohol, it's letting you know how important you've made it and how necessary and how do you feel about how important and necessary you've made it if you can't take a weekend off or a week off, right? Pay attention to that. 
So maybe you, you take a break from the social interactions that usually involve drinking, right? Maybe you try to find a new hobby. Maybe you start exercising instead, meditating. But build some friends. Ask your friends. I mean, sometimes the most powerful way to learn about the role something plays in our life is to say to our friends, what do you think about my drinking? What do you think about who I am while I'm drinking? What do you think about who I am after I've been drinking? Ask your kids and your family members. They might say, you're stressed. You're not as pleasant. You're meaner. You're not as productive. You're really tired. Well, what do you think about that? Do you want those people to be made to feel that way? Do you want them to not feel as important? Do you want to still center alcohol even though it has negative impacts? Like, what does that tell you? What does that say to you? Because sometimes it's not about quitting. It's about drinking less or taking time off and not drinking as much or switching what it is you're drinking or switching the alcohol content of what you're drinking. Because maybe it plays a role because it's soothing. There's an association. Replace it with something. Maybe instead of a beer or wine at night, have tea. Drink a kombucha. Maybe bake and eat a sweet instead. Maybe just go without. But if you think this is harder and you need more care, get into some therapy. You can really process that and work that through, work that out. Because we, you know, healthy adults have a consciousness of their relationship to all these different pieces in their life. They're always looking at their chosen coping mechanisms and making sure that they're having positive impacts. And if not, finding new things to kind of uh, switch them out with, you know? But looking at the impact it has on your relationships and the people that are most important to you and maybe even asking them, like I said, non-defensively to talk to you about what they see could be a really good way to get a little bit of a reality check, you know? And it might even be you opening the door for a conversation that they've wanted to have with you, but they didn't know really how to approach the topic. So listen calmly, you know? Um, all right, coming up next, we're gonna be sliding into those DMs. So as always, if you got a DM, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Questions you got for us, topics you want us to cover, drop into deeper. Always happy to hear from you. And past episodes, as always, are over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my face in the name of the show. There I am, click on it. You can binge, post, share, re-listen. Stick around though, we'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we are back. Uh, time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Got DM for a strap in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. That's where all that magic happens. Uh, questions, topics you want covered. Bam, drop it in there. All right, here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris. I have a 12-year-old daughter who wants a phone. Yep, I remember wanting a phone, but back in my day, it was a landline. Um, just wanted to get your own little landline phone. Although if someone else was on the phone back in those days, you couldn't use it unless you got a phone that had two lines, which meant you had two phone numbers. It's kind of wild back then. Now everyone has their own cell phone. People, a lot of people just don't, I don't have a landline. I'm in a landline in forever. Anyway, I digress. Uh, I have a, I have a young daughter wants a phone. It might be time to get her a phone. However, I'm not sure how I feel. I don't know if I feel ready, if she's ready, how can I get over the fear of, uh, the internet for my child? Well, it's reasonable on one hand. We, we see a lot of stories of um, people taking advantage of those that are underage. So I like that you're not just handing your child a phone. I think we have to assess the maturity. You know, it's always the question of maturity first. When you talk about, is my child ready for fill in the blank? How mature is your child? Um, so start there for a second. How good is your child with assessing safety and with boundaries? How good is your relationship with your child? Because I think that's a perfect time to really work on that. Um, have, you, have you presented as a safe enough parent where your child would feel comfortable coming to you uh, with distressing or upsetting information if maybe something were to happen online or on an app? 
And if not, start becoming that parent. Start through your behavior, not your words, showing your child that I'm safe to be approached with upsetting information. I won't be mad. I'll help you problem solve. If I'm disappointed, I'll share that with you, but I'll still be there to give you a big hug and we'll work through it. If you yell and scream and punish, your child's not going to come to you and then it's maybe going to be detrimental to your child, Um, right? So I want to assess that first. Um, also, I think when a child's given a phone or has internet access, it's your job as a parent to monitor it. I like that some people's uh, child's profiles say monitored by mom and dad, you know, letting, letting the other people know. And we're changing some of the ways people can access children online, but nonetheless, it's wild west out there. So you have to have an important conversation with your child about um, phone use and safety. So you're gonna have to do a little research so you know what to cover and talk to your child about while also making sure you present as a safe resource for your child. And then you wanna monitor your child's use. Your child gets to have boundaries and privacy, but you do wanna let them know, I'm gonna be sharing the phone use with you and I'll let you know when we're gonna look at it. We'll look at it together and here's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking to read your conversations with your friends and then you have to make sure you are worthy of that trust. But I wanna make sure that I'm sitting down with you and we're looking at who you're talking to and what's happening. And if it's your friends, cool. I want to know what, what profiles and pages you're following. There's a lot of things on there that are that are not for children. You know, a lot of my work isn't for children. My work, I work with and for adults. So my page isn't always child-friendly. Um, let me just think for a second. No, actually, I think it, I think it is. I think the information I put out there is something that children, you know, are, are you know, is important for them to know about. But it's not always age appropriate, I guess, in its delivery. You know, so you know that's you know not everything's for and about children, and that's okay. But you have to have those conversations. You know, it's media, it's media literacy, and uh, porn literacy, because porn is something that's really accessed by children online as well. It's not for children. You know, it's overwhelming and confusing. So read up on social media literacy, phone use, and um, you be armed and prepared with the right topics and the information and sit down and talk to your child. And you can use the phone ownership, your child having a phone, as a way for you and your child to build a healthier, better, more honest relationship too, right? It can be like a really beautiful intervention on your relationship to them. So I think a lot of good could really come out of it. You can learn about yourself, you can learn about your child, and you guys can build your relationship. But do some research first so you know what needs to be covered and be prepared to have those difficult conversations and then monitor your child's phone use, how often they're on it, who they're talking to, what kind of sites they're going to, you know, not to embarrass them or disempower them, but to say like, hey, I wanna make sure that you're safe. So first do some of that legwork, but I like the question. I think it's a good one. All right, y'all, that is our show. We'll be back tomorrow. If you got a DM for us, DMs in our Loveline and G page and past episodes of Loveline. Always over at wearechannelq.com. So scroll down, look for my face in the name of the show and click on it. It's all there. But like I said, we'll be back tomorrow. We're going to be talking about how early parental environment stuff shows up in our later adult lives in all ways. Yeah, it's really valuable stuff. We can learn a lot about ourselves and also how to not take some of these problematic things forward. All right, y'all. Thanks for hanging out. You enjoy the rest of your night and I'll see you tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey.